When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri, and we are bringing you another awesome episode of the Italian American Podcast today where, believe it or not, we are talking to the one and only four-time Super Bowl champion, Franco Harris, which really was a truly amazing experience. Ciao, Dolores. Ciao, Anthony. Yeah, what? (laughs) What is happening to us? How did this happen? Franco was amazing. What a nice guy. He was really amazing. He was really down to earth. I'm super thrilled to meet him in a couple of weeks at the National Italian American Foundation's gala. That's right. So before we move forward, uh, let everyone know the very exciting news, which is that our online store is live. If I could play the drums, I'd do a drum roll right now. But you can visit at ItalianAmericanPodcast.com forward slash store. You can also just go to our website, ItalianAmericanPodcast.com and click on the store tab and it'll take you right there. So those of you who are regular listeners, you know that we asked you to vote on a slogan for our t-shirts because it was really important to us that what we did was have an Italian American value that we all really believed in. So not surprisingly, the overwhelming winner was Prima La Famiglia, family first. So we have a beautiful design that our designers put together for us with Prima La Famiglia, family first, written on t-shirts for women, t-shirts for men, tank tops, children's shirts, onesies, mugs. So definitely take a sec to check out our store. And from now until Tuesday, October 4th, everything is 15% off. So it's a great time to go and stock up on these beautiful new items. Again, it's italianamericanpodcast.com forward slash store. Yes, we're excited about it. And again, we appreciated you helping us come up with the slogan. We appreciate all the support through you know purchasing the products, which are going to help us to keep this podcast rolling along and thriving. So with that, before I introduce Mr. Harris, we'd like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. This is Gabriella Maletti, Director of Programs for the National Italian American Foundation, and here is your NIAF News. The most anticipated Italian American weekend is right around the corner. NIAF Gala Weekend, October 14th to the 16th in Washington, D.C. The weekend will kick off Friday with tuition-free NIAF University, a way to dig deeper into your Italian heritage from Italian language courses and a cooking demo to gelato making and genealogy 101 with PBS's Mary Tedesco. We'll top off Friday with an Italian-American variety show starring Lena Prima and Joe Piscopo. Then, Saturday, don't miss Expo Italiana, a showcase of the very best of Made in Italy. Plus, a movie forum with Hollywood directors and NIAF Gala honorees Anthony and Joe Russo, movie screenings, a wine tasting, conferences, and a free lunch. 
Expo Italiana is free and open to the public. But the whole weekend culminates on Saturday evening when we'll celebrate our 41st anniversary honoring Walgreens CEO Stefano Pessina, NFL legend Franco Harris, Hollywood directors Anthony and Joe Russo, Paralympic Games gold and silver medalist Linda Masandrea, Italian singer and songwriter Tony Renes, and Dr. Aileen Sairi representing the National Organization of Italian American Women. You won't want to miss a second. Visit www.neaf.org for more information. All right. So once again, our guest for today's episode is the one and only Franco Harris. Franco began his professional football career at the Pittsburgh Steelers when they selected him in the first round of the 1972 National Football League draft, the 13th player chosen overall. In his first NFL season, he became only the fourth rookie in NFL history to rush for 1,000 yards or more. But what most fans remember, even more than his stats, was his roof-raising catch in the famous immaculate reception pass from quarterback Terry Bradshaw that gave the Steelers a 13-7 win over the Oakland Raiders and Pittsburgh's first ever playoff victory. He talked about this in the interview, and it was a very interesting angle that he talked about with his mother and how the play kind of related with her. Very Italian, P.S. Very, very Italian, yes. <laughs> Franco was named the league's Rookie of the Year by both the Sporting News and the United Press International. Steeler fans, and especially its large fan base of Italian-Americans, adored Franco Harris. His most loyal fans dubbed themselves Franco's Italian Army and wore army helmets with his number on them. Even Frank Sinatra joined Franco's Italian Army. He rushed for a 1,000 yards or more eight seasons and told 47 100 yards or more games. At the time of his retirement, his career totals in rushing and combined net yardage were ranked third highest in professional football history. Harris earned all AFC honors 1972, 75, 76, and 77, and all pro six times. He was named to nine Pro Bowls and played in five AFC championships and four Super Bowls. In Super Bowl IX, when the Steelers won their first ever league title, Harris rushed for 158 yards and was named the game's most valuable player. In 1990, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is amazing. He was born in Fort Dix, New Jersey, graduated from Penn State in hotel and hospitality and food. After retiring from the NFL with Penn State teammate and NFL great Lydell Mitchell, he founded Super Bakery to produce nutrition-oriented foods for schools, hospitals, and other food service customers. Best known for marketing a nutritious Super Donut in 2006, Harris launched Our Super Foods to distribute the Super Donut and other products across the country. And now Dolores is going to give us a very touching quote on Franco to take us into the interview. Yeah, this quote is from writer Brian Diardo. Before they passed, my grandfather and grandmother talked to me regularly about the great Steelers teams of the 1970s. They talked about the hated Raiders, Bums Oilers, and Landry Crybabies. They also talked about Swans and Stallworth's theatrics, the nastiness of the Steel Curtain, the grit of Rocky Blyer, and the beauty of watching one of Terry's long bombs fall gently into the arms of the receiver. But the thing that always brought a smile to their faces was Franco Harris, a player that transcends generations and continues to be a beloved stealer to this day. All right, now we are thrilled for this week's interview. We have with us the one and only Franco Harris. Franco, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Hello, nice to join you. We are super excited to have you. Uh, Franco's going to be honored at the National Italian American Foundation's gala in a few weeks, which we will be there. And so kind of ahead of that, we wanted to recognize him. And Franco, again, welcome to the podcast. And we, we kind of always like to start off with our guests talking a little bit about you know growing up as an Italian and how that impacted the way that they grew up. Like our history is pretty interesting. Uh, I am uh, multicultural. My mother being from Italy, and uh, and my father being, to say, African American, and they met during World War Two, and they fell in love and got married in Pisa. Came to the United States. Uh, when my mom came to the United States. Uh, as a uh, war bride. And I was born in Fort Dix, New Jersey. My father was a career man in the Army. 
Uh, I was born in Fort Dix, New Jersey, and was raised uh, my whole life in New Jersey, in a town called uh, Mount Holly, New Jersey. And uh, uh, it was a great town, great school system. I would say that uh, neither one of my parents were highly educated. My mom went up in Italy, went up to the sixth grade, but she said she was always the smartest in her class. <laughs> and, and my dad was raised in Mississippi. So definitely two different, uh, two different cultures. Right. So growing up, eventually we had nine kids in our family. So you can imagine how that was in the house, right? Wow. Wow. And so my mother, while well, she learned English, but she still basically kind of spoke broken English her whole life. And, uh, and you know, but that was, that was part of our upbringing, you know, hearing broken English all the time. And then at times she would, uh, when she could, when she ran to other Italian people or other Italian people from Italy or other war brides, you know, they would definitely speak in their native tongue, mm. Italian, and, uh, and get very heavily and very heavy into that. So I grew up in a neighborhood that was mostly military personnel and in our block, most of it was military personnel married to women from other countries. And so we had a number of military personnel married to Germans, married to Japanese, Filipinos, other Italian, French. It was a very diverse neighborhood and very interesting in, in that respect. So we were used to that type of upbringing, seeing really uh, people from from all over the world and people speaking uh, different languages. Franco, did your mother, being that she immigrated from Italy, I know a lot of Italian immigrants, you know, they try to get their children to integrate into the U.S. culture without, you know, not that they're ashamed of their nationality, but they want them to be more familiar with where they're living and where they're growing up. Did she try to keep some of her Italian traditions or did she try to transition all of you into the American kind of standards and culture? Oh, well, like, I mean, my mother was very pro-Italian. You know, like it wasn't like there was an Italian culture in our neighborhood. You know, like it was more of a military culture. But my mother was very strong towards her Italian heritage, and uh, and she didn't quite understand why uh, you know people didn't you know refer to her Italian heritage more and more. You know, you know because being multicultural, you know people would you know would label you a certain way. You know, saying okay, well you're you know say turn like African American, right? Right. And then, like, my mom would say, well, who am I? Nobody. And then plus, my mom really didn't know America, right? You know what I mean? Right. So she's trying to understand culture and, and basically not knowing America. And then she's having uh, kids. And, and, like, I guess we really didn't get too heavily into the identity thing too much because everybody was... Uh, I guess, of multicultural in our neighborhoods. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, a, that's what I was going to so, ask you. Like, for you, how did you identify having that multicultural experience growing up? I mean, we'll get into the Steelers in a minute, and, I, and I'm sure, but, at, you know, when you become a Super Bowl champion, I'm sure it's different than when people are looking at you, but when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're dealing with the multicultural experience, like you said, your mother had some thoughts on it, but then you as an individual you know, had probably people either, whether they were saying things to you, like you mentioned, how did you personally identify? I've identified with both, yeah. you know, because my mom was very, very strong that way. Like my dad was, was more of a quiet guy uh, in, in the military, but my mom was more vocal. And, uh, but like also, as I mentioned, our neighborhood was very diverse and, uh, and they had Caucasian soldiers, and they had African American soldiers who uh, were married from 
you know, women all over the world. So for us, in our world, everything, everything was good. It was, and, it was uh, normal. Your household was normal in your neighborhood, basically. It wasn't yeah. like you were in a all Italian neighborhood and then you had a unique mother father setup, for instance. Right. You know what I mean? Or, or like anybody else, as I mentioned, there were soldiers married to German, Filipino, Japanese, French, Brazilian. So for us, multicultural wasn't, I mean, that was basically our life. That was our surrounding. So that wasn't anything different. And but like then you always have some some episodes here and there, but I never really had any major episode with with anything to tell you the truth. Being lucky that way. But I know the identity thing affects a lot of people and how do they identify. Luckily I had some things in my life, especially playing football in high school, once again you meet kids from all over different parts of our town. And so you're kind of like one team there. And I guess achieving in sports at an early age, that kind of helps. And when I was eight years old, I I joined the CYO baseball. And, you know, you have the baseball skills, and then you're one of the better baseball players. And I played CYO until I was probably about 11. Then in junior high and high school, good in sports. And, and like as you know, what you're referring to with the Steelers, but I don't know on being good in sports, and I guess that gets to be a certain acceptance level, also. Right. Right. You almost redefine yourself through your through your sports, selling at sports. I think it's safe to say that you're not the only person who has a vocal Italian mother. Yeah. Quiet <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oh my gosh! That's my dad. <laughs> You know, you would hear me over with my mom. This, this is the truth. All day long, she was saying, how could you do that? Well, you know, it's like, gee, do something, but please stop this all day long. Uh, well, how you know, did your Mississippi father like your mother's Italian cooking? Well, you know, we all have, you know, had that. And like, I, and, and like, I hate, like, I know this is going <laughs> to blow a lot of minds <laughs> but but I tell people my mom wasn't that great cook oh is that right <laughs> and you know you're saying how could I say that what or you know and sure she made spaghetti and and like to us it was good what we went but the first time I went to Italy that food was so good I'm saying man my mom doesn't cook like this <laughs> oh, wow. and like I went, like, went to you know her cousin's house and stuff and it was like I mean, it was so good. It <laughs> blew my mind. I'm saying, well, you, you know, but, but it's interesting. I tell people, you know, the circumstances where her mother died when she was 10 and then during the war, no one had any food, right? Yeah. And they're going from, you know, they're going from place to place to get away from the bombings. And, and then when her brother and father were, you know, captured with the Nazis for a period of time, she stayed with the nuns. And the nuns had her clean. I'm saying, my mom, mom, I wish they'd had you cook. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I mean, our house, I'm telling you, all these spotless. Oh, I'm sure. I never saw a speck of dirt in my life. She washed her clothes every day. She washed dishes every time. I mean, incredible. Mm. Spotless. Yeah, Italian moms uh, are good like that, too. Oh, yeah, we had the plastic on our couch. In the one room no one could go into. <laughs> you, know, you know, and, uh, you know, so I don't know if it's just, you know, like I'm trying to think, was that a New Jersey thing or was that an Italy thing? I don't know. Well, I, I know where. growing up we had the same, too. It wasn't, it wasn't until, like, we kids got old enough to look at my mom and, and say, like, Mom, this is not okay anymore. The plastic <laughs> has to come off the couch. Until that happened, it was a thing in our house and all the Italians I knew in New York growing up, same thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, like, eventually we got into a house when I was 16, and, and I mean, he went, if you went into the back, I mean, there was all these statues and mm-hmm. vases and these water, what do you call them? Where there's like a, the water jars with the handle? You know, like the bird. Things with, oh, bird yeah, baths. But, you know, but they're all of stone and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And, 
you know, like it was, uh, I mean, if you walk to our house, you know, it was, you know, once again, my dad had no say in the <laughs> house. Uh, and looking at other houses, it was like, you know, even though no one met each other, knew anyone, it's like, you know, you walk into the Italian house somewhere, they're like, yep, it's all the same. Yeah. You know I mean, it's like, it's like they, like it was like they had the same decorator. <laughs> all of them, yes, I do know. I feel yeah. like I can spot an Italian house from the outside too. Oh, I, yeah. Right, like you can. It's it's Absolutely. usually stonework. There's a statue my, of my of mom Peter had Barry. the lions. She exactly, had the lions. The out lions. Front. Exactly. <laughs> she had the lions out front. Yep. You know, just crazy, and you know, so growing up, we. Uh, it was basically just us, you know, we didn't have, like, relatives and stuff. My mom and dad, I think, passed away in 1966, so, you know, never met him. I didn't, like, my first trip to Italy wasn't until I was 19 years old. And I was working uh, in, a, in an Italian restaurant outside Philadelphia called Conti's hmm. in uh, Doylestown. And... um my mom went over to see her people, and I just said, you know what, I'm going over. And so I got on a military plane and flew into Frankfurt, and from Frankfurt I visited some other military people that, that I knew from growing up. They were stationed in Germany now, and so I went and visited them. And then I caught the train down to Pisa, and that's where, you know, I met my mom in Pisa, and that's where I met all her relatives, and the Leaning Tower, and all that stuff, and you know, we couldn't do too much. We didn't have any money. We, were, and my dad was just an enlisted man in the army, so we really didn't have money. And when we went places, sometimes we traveled. You know, we this is the truth. I mean, we would eat tomatoes and tuna fish. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, that's you know, that's what we would do. Yeah. And uh, no, because we, you know, we couldn't go and afford elaborate meals. But it's funny. I told myself the next time I come back, we're going to do it right. I mean, not knowing what my future was going to be, but I just said, you know, we're going to come back. It's going to be different next time. And I'm assuming you've been back since then, correct? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so when I got into the pros, we would go kind of like every few years. And uh, I just love it over there. And the food is just so great. And, like, also, like, I, like I do want to say that, uh, as you know, I played at Penn State. Right. Well, well, maybe maybe you don't know that. No, we know. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, and, I, and I played on it a great Joe Paterno. But I tell people that what's funny is that everybody knows you get through the son, through the mother, right? I mean, right. that's what you do, you know. Well, especially an to, Italian mother with, with her yeah, son, for sure. You know, it's all, it's all about the mother with the son. Mm-hmm. And if a college had been recruited by... If they had an Italian assistant coach, they always sent the Italian guy. That's great. <laughs> and Joe Paterno told me that, that the guy from Michigan was trying to tell my mom, no, no, uh, Joe Paterno, he's, like, he's really Puerto Rican. He's not Italian. <laughs> and then my mom always saw the story, and the, you know, the broken thing, that Mr. Paterno, he, uh, bringing, me, he bringing me the biggest box of chocolate I've ever seen. So, so did your parents get to see a lot of your success? You know what? Uh, well, well, my mom did not understand football. Mm. And I said we had nine kids, yeah. you know, so there was always kids and always young kids. They came to Penn State a couple of times, but my younger brothers were still there. And so my, my mother, I don't remember, I don't think, ever went to one of my football games in high school. She didn't go to any. And she... And she didn't go to any of my brother, older brother Mario's games. And uh, and then the next point after me, which was, you know, still quite a few years, then uh, Piero. So she finally decided to go to watch a football game in high school with my brother Piero. And the game she went to, he got his leg broken. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> game she went to, leg broken. So it was like, no, but she did. You know, go to all the Super Bowls that we went to and, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Right. But otherwise, she was, you know, still taking care of our younger brothers and all that stuff. And But she really wasn't into sports, even though all her kids played sports, were great in sports. You know, she just was all about keeping her house clean, raising her kids, 
and all that sort of stuff. Franco, let's jump to the Steelers since you mentioned Super Bowl and talk a little bit about that. We know that when you got to the Steelers, the franchise at the time didn't have that illustrious history. They had struggled to be kind of a winning franchise for a while and you came into town and you know we've done quite a bit of research to interview you and read quite a bit about the idea of these couple of Italian locals, Al Vento and Tony Stagno, who created this idea of Franco's Italian army, which is, I mean, it's amazing. I've watched a bunch of videos about it and um, it's very touching. It was really, very interesting. I'm just wondering what that was like to see the fans come together when you came and embrace you and create this community. I mean, isn't that amazing? It really is. So, you know, Al Vento, Tony Stagno, and all the times we're having, and as you know, it's always over dinner, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I watched a video, too, of one clip, and oh, my God, when they pulled out Malocchio and the horns, I fell over laughing. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) Some of the best things I've ever seen. (laughs) And the food. Did you see that they had loaves of bread? They carved out the bread and they put the wine in there and they brought it into the stadium. You cannot keep an Italian down. Like, I'm getting this wine in the stadium if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what? It was It was interesting when they said, you know, they were talking about how do we bring fans together? You know what I mean? How do we get the fans excited about football? How do we do this sort of thing? And, yes, you see, well, we need an army and... He said, well, hey, this is named Franco. He's half Italian. You know, we can, you know, you know, we'll ask him. And, you know, once again, with me being multicultural, a lot of times people don't know how to approach you. Right. What's interesting, like I really didn't know at the time, I really didn't know Pittsburgh at the time, but I'm searching for apartments, and I didn't know anything about Pittsburgh. You know, I said, I just got into town. I said, and so I'm catching the bus. I had to have a car at that time, you know, find apartments. I finally found one. And then when I found out, the one I got was in a section of town called Bloomfield. Mm-hmm. And in Pittsburgh, Bloomfield is like Little Italy. And I didn't know that at the time. Which, <laughs> you were you know, just you know, drawn there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Which was, you know, which was quite strange, you know, strange when you think about it. So they asked me about it. And I said, you know what? I said, I like that. And so they started Franco's Italian Army, and I'll tell you what, it was incredible. These guys, man, they were into it. They were having so much fun. This army grew. I mean, it got to be just a whole nation of people, but it was fun. And then all these other fan clubs started to pop up, too. The first one, even before the Italian Army, was Jarella's Gorillas. But after the Italian Army... All these other fan clubs started popping up, and it just really made it a unique situation for Pittsburgh. I mean, it was so unique and so different than any other town. And here it is, this, you know, half Italian kid doing what he's doing. And what's interesting is that it all came together because this was my rookie year. Right. And and then I started having this great rookie year. And it just made it more fun for these guys, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're having a ball, they're partying, fans are getting into it, you know, and they're doing all these different things to promote, you know, fan enthusiasm, bringing fans together, all that sort of thing. So it, it was pretty incredible. And it was pretty fun for me, too. You know, even though I'm playing football, I couldn't do too much, you know what I mean? Cause, right. Because season. But then a couple other interesting things happened. And one is we made the playoffs, right? First time Steelers ever won a division in their history. And, well, we we had to go to San Diego. We had to win that game for the division. And we're practicing in Palm Springs. And Frank Sinatra joined the Italian Army. That's amazing. (laughs) To me, that is still like, oh, my God. Can't beat that. (laughs) Who would have ever thought that? You know, and so here it is, kids from New Jersey with Frank Sinatra. Well, he's from New Jersey, too, I guess. Two kids from New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, 
thanks so much for joining on. And I was a shy kid back then. Unfortunately, I don't talk and interact with him. I was still kind of shy. But big moment. And we won that game. And then, you know, we won our division. And we're going into the playoffs against the Oakland Raiders. Right. And in that game, our rookie year. And uh, this is a true story. Said my mom knew nothing about football. So the game the Raiders is going, we're winning, and all of a sudden we're losing. Like my mom, you know, my brothers, my brothers, my father, and they were in the one room watching the game, right? All of a sudden, everything got quiet. My mom knew there was something wrong. She went to the record player and put on Ave Maria. And they say that was right at the time the reception happened. That's amazing. And for those of you listening that don't know what Frank was referring to, the Immaculate Reception was like an amazing play that happened at the end of the game, right, Franco, where it bounced off of someone. You happened to be standing there, it came to you, and then you ran it in. With a touchdown to win the game. Yep. And some call it the greatest play in NFL history. But later on that night, someone named it the Immaculate Reception. But during that time, I mean, which is so interesting, and my mom had on the record of a Maria. That is amazing. Maybe how things connect, you know, when you uh, when you look at that sort of stuff. I think I remember also hearing uh, that Franco's army believing it was at like the same <laughs> moment, right? That they put. Malocchio. Well, what happened was what I watched from the video was that yeah, one of these yeah. guys had them, but they had this like white special little one that they used to carry, and they dropped it on With the a floor. Hunchback. Right. They dropped it on the floor. And then when they, as soon as they picked it up and held it up is when it happened. I mean, listen, you'll hear stories right. like that, but the, especially great. the one with your mother, Franco, with the Ave Maria, that's amazing to hear that as well. And, you know, and I know people think all oh, this stuff is, but, but when you look at things and, you know, and then sure, I'm sure all of it is just a coincidence and you try to find it? meaning all that kind of stuff. But, you know, <laughs> but you look at it more coincidence, but, but when you look at all those things, and like it does just make for an interesting conversation, interesting, interesting story. But things happen. Sometimes things happen happen for a reason. And then after that, I uh, when the game was over, went to the airport, went, I flew back to New Jersey to spend Christmas with my family in New Jersey. I mean, that was a pretty exciting time, like my rookie year. And as I said, with what was happening with the Steelers and our performance and my personal performance, and the Italian army, <laughs> all of that forming and all the excitement and all the stuff going on with that and and then the Immaculate Reception and then all that sort of stuff. It, it was just an unbelievable year, 1972. Just so many things. I love all the Catholicism and Italianness that surrounds all those stories. You know, even the, the name, the Immaculate Reception and Franco's Army with the Malocchio and your mother with Ave Maria. I mean, it's perfect. And I, I'm certain that maybe other groups might think, oh, this stuff isn't real. But I have a feeling that our listeners are, are really going to enjoy that and uh, not believe that it was coincidence. You know, more than that. I agree. Franco, from what I saw, too, and what I read is that the Italian army, like you had contact with them, right? And you kept in contact with them. I saw some videos where you met some of them when they were older and, and stuff like that. Is that right? Oh, well, like, I mean, it's strange that you asked that because, you know, I'm going to go see Al Bento tomorrow at this pizza shop. We're going to have lunch. Oh, wow. Okay. It's funny that you, it's funny that you, yeah. and yeah, he's 88 years old now. So just funny that you mentioned that. Isn't that amazing, Dolores? I mean, you're talking about professional football player, how these men just created this army, and now all these years later, Franco Harris is going to go and have some pizza. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a testament to your character, Franco. I mean, obviously, there's an authenticity uh, and a genuineness in your um, personality and your heart. And I'll actually say that, you know, I've noticed this in the research I did about you, but also in that example. But even last week, I was at the grocery store and there was a kid. He must have been like 15 or 16, you know, checking me out at the grocery line. It was Sunday. So he had a Steelers jersey on and I'm paying and I look at him and he's so young, you know, so I kind of asked it like a question. I said, you know, Franco Harris. And he's like, yeah. And I said, I'm interviewing him next week. And he really almost fell over. He looked like he was so shocked and couldn't believe that he was talking to somebody who was going to talk to you. <laughs> so that's something bigger than just 
oh, that's an athlete, you know, who was really successful. There's something about you that people really love generations, clearly, even, you know, generations who weren't there when you were actually playing. Well, well you know, we had, you know, humble beginnings. And as I mentioned, had a, a, a great, great town to grow up in, great school system, you know, had uh, good buddies all the way through high school and growing up and had great coaches in high school and I've had the greatest coach of all time in college and, uh, and you know about our Steelers, you know what I mean? Some consider us the best of all time. So look at all that. I was, I was very blessed and very fortunate and, you know, a lot of good people and then my mom and dad, I mean, they were great people. Mm. I mean, didn't have much, but, you know, we had each other. They raised you right. Franco, as we kind of, you know, start to wind down here, you are going to be honored in a few weeks at the National Italian American Foundation's Gala in D.C. Just wanted to ask you what that means to you. It, it really is an honor. You know, my mom passed away, you know, about two years ago, so uh, she would really be proud, you know, so, you know, it's a shame she couldn't go there. I mean, it would blow her, mm. her mind. But, you know, it's a big part of my heritage, and you know, my mom tells many stories of her growing up and going through the war and all that kind of stuff. Where Santa Ana, where everybody was massacred, just so happened she didn't go up in the village. You know, they were traveling, and she didn't go up to the village. And like she stayed down below. Mm. Yeah, well, I bet in a few weeks from now, at the gala, your mother will be somewhere smiling, maybe with the Ave Maria mm. <laughs> in the background. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, like until I really went to Italy, you know, when I was 19, you know, sometimes you don't get it. You know what right. I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Yep. And, and then going over there, it's like, wow. And then my mom's cousin sent us the family tree from back to 1250. And then our cousins just sent us the family tree update about a month ago from over there. You know, well, I'm just saying that's. I mean, that's part of who we are. And I think it's people, it's important people to recognize that. And, uh, and like a lot of times, as I said, I know people have a hard time with their identity. And luckily, I have none with mine, with my father and my mother's. No trouble with any identity with that. And it makes it, makes it easy. But as I said, people always try to label you and identify you. But you really have to identify yourself. Well said. Yeah. And my mom and dad made very, you know, certain of that, you know, and my father's son just as important, you know, like I am both. You know, that's what I am. So, Franco, as we round out here, I want to read this quote to you for a minute. It's a quote that we read at the beginning of the episode when we introduced you, but I want you to hear it and just talk to you about it for a minute. It's a quote from a writer. His name is Brian Diardo, and and what he said in the quote is, Before they passed, my grandfather and grandmother talked to me regularly about the great Steelers teams of the 70s. They talked about the hated Raiders, Bums, Oilers, and Landry's Crybabies. They also talked about Swans and Stallworth's theatrics, the nastiness of the Steel Curtain, the grit of Rocky Blyer, and the beauty of watching one of Terry's long bombs fall gently into the arms of the receiver. But the thing that always brought a smile to their faces was Franco Harris a player that transcends generations and continues to be a beloved stealer to this day. We always try to find a quote for the beginning of the episodes, and this one kind of really touched us. It sounds like Dolores said, regardless of the age of people, of how old, young, everyone that has anything to do with the Steelers continues to remember you, which is wonderful. Was it the relationship you had with the fans? I mean, what was it that people are so engaged with you? And believe me, I'm the lucky one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, coming to uh, Pittsburgh, uh, believe me, this was not my top choice. I had to choose. This would have been like bottom of the barrel. Wow. See how life goes? And, you know, but it was a draft, and got drafted here. And uh, I just said that, well, when I come here, I'm going to get involved with this city. I'm going to become part of this city, and I'm going to live here, and I'll make this my home. And so I just did that and got involved in a number of different ways, and I met a lot of great people. We have great owners in the Rooney's, just beautiful people, and that helped me, you know, watching how they are, the kind of people that they are. 
that helped. Uh, I tell people one of the one of the big moments was when I was traveling with Tommy Lasorda, and uh, Tommy was saying about I was young and we were on a trip together, and he's telling me frankly, you know, about people and a lot of people won't remember you. No, he said, you won't remember a lot of people, but they'll remember you and, and how you treat people and how you act and how you do this and that. You know, they'll, you know, right. they'll remember. Well, to all your beloved Steeler fans who, who might be listening right now, you know, there's still time to get tickets to the gala. The gala is being held uh, the weekend of the 14th to the 16th of this month. And uh, we'll link to NIAF's page where you can purchase tickets, but, you know, definitely come on down. Franco is being honored. Maybe you'll get a chance to shake his hands. So, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity. Franco, listen, we appreciate the time. We know how busy you are. We really appreciated the opportunity to talk to you today. And again, it's been thrilling. I mean, you've had an amazing career and what it sounds like is beyond the four Super Bowl rings and the illustrious football career that you've had, it sounds like you've had an amazing opportunity to connect with the fan base, the community, and people around you, which speaks to the fact that you're having pizza with one of the gentlemen that started the <laughs> Franco's Italian Army Absolutely. tomorrow. So, Franco, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really enjoyed it, guys, and I'm looking forward to October 15th. Great. Wonderful. So are we. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Franco Harris as much as we did. He's really obviously an amazing individual that does transcend generations as many of the things were said in that interview kind of bring that to light. Now it's time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations. We try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or one of our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. In today's segment, you will hear from one of our listeners, Brian Mozzarello. It sounds like an Italian name, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't always for him. You're about to hear his story of how he decided to take back his Italian name. But before we jump into the story, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this segment, Select Italy. Select Italy is the ultimate source for travel to Italy and offers a wide array of superior Italian travel products and services, including customized itineraries, fascinating tours, romantic getaways, unique and fun culinary classes, yacht charters, transportation, hotel reservations, villa bookings, tickets for museums, and musical events, and more. All right, here's Brian's story. My name is Brian Mozzarello, and I want to share a story about my last name change. So if we're going to talk about name changes, we probably should talk about what my name was and how it got to Mozzarello. It's not an uncommon story. What's fun, though, is that I was able to rewrite the wrong, and I did it in a unique way. I was born Brian Morell. I was the only male in my lineage of men on my father's side to be born with the last name Morell. Well, how did that happen? My grandfather in the 50s was trying to get promoted in the military and felt like his name was holding him back. Like many Italian-Americans at the time, they thought that if they had a name that was more American-sounding, they might get a better promotion or become more popular. And he wasn't alone. Uh, he joined the ranks of, you know, Tony Bennett, who used to be Tony Benedetto, or Dean Martin, who used to be Dino Crocetti, or even the great Jerry Valley, who used to be Gennaro Vitalano. So how did I get to the name change? I knew that I was a Mazzarello my whole life. It wasn't a secret. We all knew my grandfather changed it. My dad remembers writing as a kid, learning to do a signature with Mazzarello. Then at some point, he got the news, take out the Z's, drop the O, we're now Morell. So he and his sisters relearned their, to write their name, redo their signatures as Morell, because the dad said. So they became the Morell family. I then became the Morell family. And I remember carrying the last name Mazzarella with me, though, in my heart. I always knew that that was my legacy. That was mine. It was taken from me. I don't know why I felt strongly about it, but I knew it. And in college, everybody gets nicknames, and I decided to go by Maz. It was sort of my first step into exploring 
Mozzarella is my last name. And so I sort of just embraced this personality of Maz. Hey, that's Maz over there. As the college years wrapped up, I had this dream of going to Europe. And I knew that I wanted to make my way to the Italian peninsula and then hopefully to Sicily, where my family's from. And I knew that I had my aunts in Milwaukee with the, all the Sicilian family. They had connections back to the Sicilian family back in the old country, back in Sicily. So I reached out via email to my great aunts back in Milwaukee, and they told me about this cousin that I had who was close to my age. So I knew that I was going to go down there, go to Sicily. After college, I made my way to Europe. I backpacked through Europe for a month, and the end of the trip, the capstone of the trip, was to go to Italy, enjoyed Venice and Florence and Rome, and then I took a train ride down to Sicily. Well, when I get to Sicily, I felt something incredibly powerful. I arrived there in my family's village, and my cousins, who I've met for the first time that day, are taking me up to the Casa Vecchia, the old house on a hillside that looked over the Mediterranean Sea and was looking at the Aeolian Islands, and I could see the olive trees and the chestnut trees, and I could smell the breeze, the sea coming through. And I knew that I was home in a way. I knew that even though I had never been here, I knew that this was my home. And then they took me to the cemetery, where I was able to see the grave sites of my great-great-grandparents. I saw the name Mazzarello on the grave site, and I knew, I knew I had to have Mozzarella be my name again. When I returned to California, I went about my life as a recent college grad trying to get a job, and I was dating my now wife, and we got engaged, and this feeling inside of me kept saying, oh, you still want to be Mozzarella. So I started the name change process, but it didn't actually go through until four days before our wedding. So I was able to actually sign all of our documentation for our wedding as Mozzarella, but I didn't announce it until the moment they announced the bride and the groom. So now we're married, and at that moment, our officiant turns to the crowd, and he says, I now pronounce you Brian and Stephanie Mozzarella. I recently came across the archives of my wedding video where at my wedding reception, my grandfather, in his own words, explains the name change. I'm the I'm the grandfather who changed the name from Mazzarello to Mozzarella. Don't applaud, it's been frustrating. I did in 1958. I shortened it. I went from Salvatore Antonio Mazzarello and I showed up while I was in the military. Why? You didn't know why, Brian. I'll tell you now. In all the military career, I had 24 years, Army and the Air Force. No one could pronounce Mazzarello. They would call me Sergeant Tony, Sargento, Sergeant. But no, because they Mazzarello. So I took my name, Salvatore, and dropped it. Took Anthony as my first name. Now, this is before I even had a grandson. And I shortened Mazzarello to Marell. M-A-R-E-L-L. I changed it, and I'm sorry I did, because I'm still living with the mistake, because I still have to spell it. Because even though I changed it to Marell, you know what you had to put up with, right, Dave? Meryl, Marl, Marl. <laughs> the first time I was introduced, I was introduced as Sergeant Marl. I looked around. <laughs> Marl. As you know, at the close of the ceremony, he was introduced as Brian Mazzarella. 
I want you to know your grandfather in heaven that says, Wow, wonderful. At last we got a grandson named Mazzarello. And I'm proud that you did that. And I want to thank you for doing so. That's the end of my name change story. However, it's just the beginning. The beginning of my quest of becoming a dual Italian-American citizen. But that's a whole nother story. All right, so I hope you enjoyed Brian's story as much as I did when he told it to me on the phone before he actually created the recording. Brian, thank you for sending it. He did a wonderful job on the recording. Yeah, he really did. It's terrific. Yeah, we really appreciate you sharing it with us and the listeners. All right, so let me take a moment here again to recognize our sponsor for this segment of the show, Select Italy, and then I'll kick it over to Dolores and she'll take us out. Everything you need for optimum travel to Italy is possible with Select Italy. Their helpful travel planners in Chicago, New York, and Shanghai are always ready to give the best advice on when and where to visit, while the Florence support staff is there to help should you need anything while you are in Italy. The company recently expanded its offerings and services to the Balkans with the launch of Select Croatia. Visit selectitaly.com and selectcroatia.com. All right, let me kick it over to Dolores to take us out. All right, just a gentle reminder that our online store is live and everything is 15% off until Tuesday, October 4th. So head on over there, italianamericanpodcast.com forward slash store. Other than that, you can connect with us via social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American, Twitter at Ital American, I T A L American, and Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Gentani! Mm-hmm.